Hello and welcome to the Recovery and Wellbeing podcast brought to you by Change, Grow, Living Coventry. My name's Paul Woods and I'm one of the team leaders in our service. You can hear more about my story and the story of some of my team members throughout this series. Our goal with this podcast is to enlighten you, to motivate you and even inspire you to be the best version of yourself. We want to bring the world of recovery to life by sharing stories from our service users in Coventry who've been through some really challenging times. And I'm sure whoever is listening to this podcast will find a lot of these stories resonate with them. We're also going to use this podcast to share free services in Coventry that can help you achieve your goals and live a happy life. If you would like to share your story, tell us about your service or just get involved in this podcast, email us at coventry.recovery at cgl.org.uk. We'd love to hear from you. If you like this podcast, please share far and wide. So here goes. Here's our volunteer coordinator, Chris Jennings, talking to our former volunteer, Kelly, about her life in recovery. Enjoy. I was involved um, with CGL for a little while volunteering um, helping out with the groups, with the smart group and me and another volunteer set up the women's group. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to set a women's group up was, was kind of to give people a space to talk about sort of issues that often occur around addiction that don't just affect women, but you know, might particularly affect women that isn't always easy to talk about. Um, in a, in a, you know, in a more mixed environment. And, and one of those things, and this has particular resonance for me was, was sort of toxic relationships and domestic violence because that was really where my using started. Um, I got into a relationship that would become abusive when I was in my early 20s and was, was in that relationship for around eight or nine years. Um, and it was really towards the end of that relationship when the abuse had, had escalated and it had become, you know, very very constant very physical um very frightening that my use kind of took off really and, and became problematic so i think i think before that point um i wasn't really a drug user I, I would drink when i was when i was out with friends um i did the usual sort of experimentation at school you know i'd have the odd spliff or I think I tried pills at a rave once and was sick and was really embarrassed and never tried them again. <laughs> um, so, I wasn't, yeah, I was, I was that, you know, I was that girl and I was always the one that would pull a whitey and stuff. So, so I, wasn't, I was never really a, someone that you'd think of as a user. And then at some point in that relationship, my partner had introduced me to cocaine. And again, for a long time, it was purely recreational use. He was a heavier user out of the two of us. But then, and and it's hard to pinpoint at what point it crossed the line, you know, because it was it was really quite gradual. As as abuse is really, you know, it doesn't start off being yeah. being terrible on the first day. It, it builds up, and it was the same thing with drug use. I can't I can't pinpoint a day at which my use went from being recreational to problematic. But certainly a correlation with as the abuse escalated, I would be using more as a way to kind of cope with that. You, you said that you were with your abusive partner for what did you say eight or nine years yeah, something like that. Yeah, considerable okay. amount of time um at what point did you realize that the relationship was actually abusive probably about a year and a half in 
at the point at which he first hit me, really. Oh, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although looking back, the the build up, the, the sort of psychological and emotional abuse builds up a long time before that first kind of yeah physical interaction. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sit there and think, oh my god, this is a a terrible domestic violence relationship. I'm in danger for a few years because yeah, sure. at first it at first it was. Um, isolated incidents and then you'd get the you know the sorry and the and there's all those kind of dynamics and, and I'd blame myself I think that I must have wound him up in yeah. some way I, I grew up um I witnessed domestic violence as as a kid and so although at some point in my life I'd sworn oh that will never be me I think it all it also becomes normalized absolutely no thanks for that no and, and thanks for being so open and honest about this I think it's really important um for people that are struggling or, or having thoughts like this and i guess as you say um it became normalized and um yeah. one, once you get to that point well i, I suppose you don't you wouldn't you don't think about it i mean why, why why would you it's just what everyone else does isn't it it's just another row i guess i mean you say he introduced you to drugs did, were you using the drugs kind of because they were fun or did you start using them to kind of numb the way you were feeling? I think it was, I think from the beginning it was, it was about the numbness because straight away I thought, oh, this, this immediately makes me feel better. This takes away, you know, all of the stress and Pain, all of yeah. a sudden I didn't care as much. Um, and because I was really trying to juggle, so I was in this like really terrible relationship, but on the outside, I had a good job, you know, life, life looked okay. So I was really trying to hold everything together. And um, I think because of the effect that that particular drug had on me, it was, it was quite stimulating when you first take it. It's, I guess it helped me to get up and do the stuff I needed to do. It, it genuinely felt like it was helping me to cope. It was helping me to put that, yes. that face the outside world as soon as I realized that it could do that for me it was it was a no-brainer to keep taking it I think I think anyone who starts taking drugs problematically if it was terrible from the beginning you, you'd never bother there's always a payoff isn't there? there's always a, there's something positive that the, the substances are doing in the beginning that's why you take them totally yeah this this kind of oh don't take drugs kids drugs are bad well yeah, yeah um take taking them on a dependent basis but yeah like you said yeah, you know yeah. you, you, you don't start like that when you first start taking them it's like wow where did all this yeah, come yeah. from wow i feel great you know that yeah. Yeah, this this, a, this is a great night out. This is the best rave I've ever been to. That yeah. precisely, and it's that kind of tipping point that we, with I, I guess the thing is you 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 get there slowly, but once you are there, you don't always realise just how deep you know how far in you are. You're absolutely right. What would you say to people that are, sort of find themselves in this position? I mean, you know, what did you do to to, to get yourself sorted? I think throughout the last year of the relationship, I'd been planning to leave. I'd started trying to sort of ferret money away and um, confidentially getting in touch with services to find out what my options were. Um, so I think it would have happened at some point. Um, but in the end, um, he attacked me so badly that I was hospitalised and the police were involved and things. So then I was taken to, to a refuge um, in Derbyshire. And so that was the point at which, at which I left. So yeah, it was quite a sort of climatic 
climatic ending. But um, but I think at some point I would have ended up leaving anyway because that was, like I said, I was I was planning. I think, you know, there's always that attitude from people who don't understand DV of, oh, why don't you just leave? But it's actually a really difficult thing to do because quite often you're financially dependent. You know, you um, you may end up homeless if you leave. Um, a lot of people don't know. Statistically, you're actually more likely to be assaulted or even murdered after you leave. So that yeah. fear, when, when yeah, so when women, um, it's not just women in violent relationships, but it tends to be women at more risk of severe physical harm. So mm. when women say things like, I can't leave, he'll kill me, they're not, that's not sensationalizing. That's literally true. Absolutely. You know? So there's a whole load of barriers to being able to leave that I think people often don't um, aren't aware of. What sort of things do you think we should should be looking at? Well, I say as a society, but obviously there's a lot of things that need to change, especially around our views and our understanding of, of domestic violence. Is there anything that you know strike, strikes you that you think we should be considering at this point in time? Um, well, practically, we need more resources. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mean you mentioned men? Um, mm. I think there's something like two refuges for the in the country for men who literally need to escape violent relationships. So there's a massive lack of resources. Um, it is taboo. It's still taboo in in some sense for a lot of women, even though there's a lot of awareness. So you can imagine what it's like for a guy. Yeah. You know, totally. and, and we tend to forget about about gay relationships as well. There can be domestic violence in both gay and lesbian relationships. And again, the resources for those victims are it's just not. not there. So I think yeah. as a society, we need to be pushing for there to be a lot more funding put into this. Where it, where there's an overlap with substance misuse, one of the things I've found is that services often don't know how to deal with both. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't... Um, I didn't disclose to the refuge that I was taking substances because if had I have done, there's a good chance they wouldn't have, have accepted me. So for people whose substance misuse is a lot more immediately obvious, they're probably not going to get that refuge space. So then where, where do they go? Kelly, it's interesting. Um, talk, talked about the kind of the pressure cooker environment and uh, what kind of impact do you think lockdown has had on, on this, this sort of thing or, or or how do you view what might have been going on in lockdown? I know that from what I've seen, the numbers have, um, you know, certainly started to rise. Yeah, um, it's something that's really been playing on my mind, actually, um, in a, in quite an unpleasant way. I mean, I think there's been stories in the news about how much domestic violence cases and reports have gone up and, you know, rates of substance misuse as well. Um, so for anyone who's dealing with both, there's probably been an uptick in, in both issues. Um, it's quite frightening to think about. I mean, obviously, if you're in an abusive relationship, um, you're trapped anyway. So to then be even more, you know, to be literally locked in with that person would be, it would be terrifying. Yeah. You know, it's something that's quite difficult, even, you know, and it's it's like eight years on, it's still something that's quite difficult for me to think about. Um yeah, I'm sure. When the lockdown was announced, actually, one of my first thoughts is, "What is this going to do to women who are who are already sort of struggling in those relationships?" And, and my husband, who works in a rehab, his first thought was, "Oh my God, what about all the people who are newly in in recovery?" I think it's had a massive impact on both populations. So, for anyone who's trying to deal with both, that I can imagine yeah. the impact would be, would be huge. So, you talked about um, 
the, uh, the you talked about your husband, the kind of work he does. So, you know, what what sort of stuff uh, are you doing at the moment in relation to this 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 type of thing? Um, so I volunteer at um, the Hope Centre in in Hill in the middle of Hillfields on Sparkbrook Street. But yeah, so that's that's something I've done since I came into recovery. Really, is is kind of volunteer with uh, with women with with substance misuse issues and sort of other complex needs. That's something I've been involved in. Um, I've volunteered. I've run groups in sort of various substance misuse services, obviously including CGL. I also I'm a writer, um, and I also do a bit of voluntary writing for a domestic violence charity. I manage their their survivors blog. So I do that. So I, you know, I think, you know, giving back, and I hear a lot of people in recovery say this is something that's been a big part of of my journey out, really. It helps you give some meaning to your own experiences when you're able to use them to to help other people and a bit of a sense of purpose. I think because you're in early recovery, for me anyway, you're just kind of floundering around like well, because you know, I mean, for me, everything and I get, for a lot of people, I think this is the case. Everything changes. You leave your social circle behind. You leave your relationship behind. You leave, you know, your biggest crutch, which was your drug use or, or alcohol use or whatever it is, behind. So just kind of floundering around like, what do I do with my life now? Yeah. So finding, yeah. you know, doing some voluntary work and or finding a bit of a purpose, I think, really instrumental in in helping people move forward. Right. And I just think Mutual Aid is a great model as well for helping people out of out of substance misuse. Okay. Did you um did you use uh, mutual aid groups? Did you do any twelve step stuff yourself? I mean, I know it's not for everybody, but uh, mm. it does work for some. I did all of it. Um, so oh, okay. Everything I could get my hands on. So the point at which yeah. I um, wanted to stop using, I'd been out of the violent relationship for a year or so. But in that period, my drug use had actually escalated. And I think, yeah. I think, yeah. And I think people are always surprised by that. There's always the assumption that well, you've got away now, so you should be okay. But the first, the first sort of year out of a violent relationship is probably the hardest. There's, there's all the fear. There's the displacement. You know, I had to leave my home. I was in a different city for a few months um, while the sort of um, court case and things were happening. Um, so I was completely uprooted. Everything had to change. Um, and you're left with all this trauma. So the thing that I was using the drugs to deal with, I was now using drugs to forget. <laughs> my use actually escalated. And I actually yeah. started using prescription pills as well as, as the cocaine. So I was sort of almost using um, both sedatives and stimulants almost just to try and level myself out at this point. Yeah, yeah. So not even That's... trying to feel better anymore, just trying to feel normal. You know, you've mentioned something that wouldn't occur to most people. Like you said, you you think, well, you're free now. Uh, you're on the road. You, you're on the road to recovery. You know, you you're in. You're out. You're out of the woods, so to speak. But of course, you. you I mean, this is why it's really important to have these com- conversations. I mean, I you know, I've worked in services for what coming up to three years and of experience as a volunteer prior to that, uh, plus personal experiences. Yeah. But that had never occurred to me um, at all. Um, and, it, and it's really interesting that the fact that, um, you know, your use escalated once you were in the clear, so to speak. But obviously you weren't. Of course you wouldn't be. Um, no, and the displacement, for obvious reasons, is massive. It would have a massive impact. But, um, no, I think there's great, there's great value in having talks like this, yeah. and especially trying to get it out there. Like you say, a lot of this is still taboo. 
Is there anything um, else that you think is worth yeah, so mentioning? We talking about, yeah, we were talking about mutual aid groups, weren't we? And then I yes, kind of, we were. I went off on that. I was just explaining um, how I kind of came into, into mm. recovery. So I was away from the relationship, but the, the drug use had, had taken over. And it becomes its own problem, doesn't it? it you know, it takes over as, as a problem of its own. Um, yeah. And again, I don't think there was any one thing that made me think I need to stop this. It was just my life had just become dysfunctional. I was in debt. I wasn't, I wasn't managing um, my deadlines with work. Um, it was affecting my kids. You'd obviously already been through enough um, with the DV. Um, and I just, I remember just getting up one day and I don't, I'm not even sure if I made a concrete decision or I, I don't even remember how I knew it was there, but I just walked into the recovery partnership um, to where CGL, I guess the precursor to, yeah. to CGL, I was walking in and going up and it was the same guy who sits on reception at CGL, which is really nice. He's been around yeah. a while, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I remember just going up to the desk and I don't know what to do or say I was just like I can't stop using drugs and he was like okay do you want to just fill this form out and take a seat and we'll, we'll get someone to see you <laughs> um as if it was really normal which obviously to him it was um but so that was quite really boring because uh, it's, it's quite difficult I think when you first make that admission it feels like the bottom's going to fall out of your world so it's important yeah. to be able to make that disclosure yeah, totally. in a, a non-judgmental place where people are just like okay let's you know let's see what we can do and and so my journey started there I was given a key worker um and that and that was helpful I only really seen her once a week and I think I think with um I think with stimulants where you you know there's there's no detox process or anything it it can be a bit more difficult to find what works for you because there's no immediate yeah. sort of obvious okay here you go you need to do a detox um, I couldn't go to rehab because of the children. So at yeah. first I was like, I don't know, you know, what am I going to do? How's this going to help? She pointed me towards mutual aid meetings in the community. Yeah. And I went to all of them. I went to SMART. I went to 12-step meetings in whatever format I could find. So I went to AA, I went to NA, I went to CA. Um, and I just threw myself in as much as possible. I took some time off work and I just spent my entire time around the recovery community and... Um, it almost seems a bit excessive now looking back, um, but it was what I needed because I had to literally leave. Most of my friends at that point were people I used with. So I had to, I'd, I'd got into a, briefly got into a new relationship with someone who used. So I had to literally leave my entire social circle again, just as I had when I left the, the violent relationship in order to, to come into recovery. I think it's interesting as well what you said about you know, you came in and you saw uh, uh, the, the guy uh, on reception whose who's name will remain anonymous, but we know who we're talking about. Um, uh, but th there's a great comfort in the fact that he was like, yeah, fine, take a seat, sit down. Yeah. And, and with, this is what I say to people, whether they're coming out on a, a, a wellbeing walk that we do, mm -hmm. uh, one of the few things that we can do at the moment, whether it's yeah. meet somebody for a... I don't know, walking around with a, a, a takeaway coffee or, the, you know, at two metres distance. Yeah. I say this to everybody at the beginning of this kind of, oh, my God, I've got to stop taking drugs. It's start hanging around with people who have yeah. stopped taking drugs yeah. or stopped drinking because they get you. They'll understand you more than somebody you've known 25 years. They'll get you in 10 minutes because yeah. they know how you feel. And... You'll find, I mean, when for me, and I'm going back nearly 30 years now, 
that was the bit that helped me make the first steps was oh there's other people like this yeah. oh, gets it. do they get it uh, and it was the only place I could find any comfort uh, or, or, it models it to you that it's possible doesn't it because when you know when you're around people who are also taking drugs and you're taking drugs you don't know anyone who did take drugs and now doesn't so then you, yeah, you find right. a community. you're around all of these people who've done it yeah yeah and it's yeah it is inspirational and, it, and it's great to be able to have you know chats like this the two of us mm. and um you know we, we we knew each other through you coming to volunteer um uh, for cgl but the fact that we can have quite open chats like this yeah. and we and we, it, it's like a whole area of life that we both get without having to go into that much detail because we've been there we know what a struggle it is we know what it's done to us as as people and how it's affected our personalities but you know the fact that we're even having this conversation over uh, laptops and in, in houses with roofs on uh, and we're not off our heads is testament to what can happen yeah. the way you can get to just by not taking drugs and drinking anymore you know you, you can get there and uh, it's been really interesting listening to what you've had to say because not, not only is this a useful message for people that are still out there that are still struggling mm. or find themselves in this position that still up to their eyeballs and drink or drugs because they're in a, uh, a situation with an abusive partner but just even as a professional I, you know you've opened my eyes to a lot of stuff just in the last half an hour so I'm really grateful for that it's been really really enlightening so thank you well thanks for giving me the chance to talk about it i really appreciate it